your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome into the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. It's great to have you listening. My name is Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com. We are the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Uh, and we're excited to have you. Ben Dowsett, usually on the show, is, is going to be joining us. I promise he's, he's on his way. We're going to get him right now, getting him into the studio. So that's coming up. Um, as always, this is a social show, so you can join us on the airwaves or by Twitter. You can always tweet me at Andy B. Larson. Or you can always call in to 877-353-0700. And then, of course, I also have some news of my own just to share. Uh, I'm joining the KSL team to to cover uh, the jazz moving forward. So I'll be kind of the jazz beat writer at KSL.com. But the good news is for everybody who listens to the show that the show will go on. I'm still managing editor of Salt City Hoops. We're still doing this radio show, bringing to you two hours of NBA and Utah jazz coverage Every single day, uh, or sorry, every single week, not every day. That that might be a little bit too much, but I'll, I'll take every single day, uh, or every single week, every Thursday here, 7 to 9 p.m. on ESPN 700. We've got a lot to talk about. It's actually been an exciting round two of the playoffs. Uh, every series is at one and, and one and one, which is, which is very different than the first round, which had every series at a 2-0, except for one of them. Seven out of the eight series were 2-0 in the first round. Uh, it, it's been a much closer second round than I think a lot of people expected, especially in that Warriors-Memphis series. It was surprising to see Memphis get their first win. Uh, 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 actually, the Warriors' first loss in Golden State since January, so that that's kind of impressive. Uh, we'll be talking about breaking down all four of those playoff series in the second round later on in the show. We'll also have Kareem Copeland uh, of the Associated Press joining us. He's the Associated Press's Utah Jazz beat writer. He also does a little bit of coverage for the local uh, college scene around here. So we'll have him on, kind of get his impressions on what's going on around the Jazz, especially with these workouts. He's been joining us uh, every day, yesterday and today, for these two Jazz pre-draft workouts. Uh, and so he's he's going to be talking to us. Kind of, we, We've had some interesting conversations with Walt Perrin, who's the vice president of player personnel for the Utah Jazz, kind of talking about what that draft process looks like. Uh, and it, it's it's kind of interesting how the Jazz approach it differently than other teams. I mean, really, the Jazz actually do their workouts earlier than any other NBA team does. So I, I'm, I'm excited to talk to Kareem about that. And then, of course, we're going to be breaking down kind of these playoff trends. We'll be talking about Rudy Gobert shortly. The Jazz's upcoming schedule. Uh, uh, we've got a busy show for you today, is all I'm saying. And, of course, we have the man himself, Mr. Ben Dowsett. Ben, how are you doing? I've made it in here. <laughs> so I'm, I'm probably going to have a ticket on my car momentarily because of the lovely downtown parking uh, credit card reading machine didn't work, which is awesome. Well, that, that happens like, you know... One out of every two times. Something you can't like expect that. them to do more than that. Just, yeah, which just, is great. Just uh, the 50%. What's great is I'll be able to look right out this window and see the ticket <laughs> on my car as it gets there. Like, uh, no valet parking, though? No, I didn't do that. Oh, well. We do have valet parking here tonight. Uh, so, you know, which if is you want cool. to. Yeah. <laughs> I did not take advantage of the valet parking as, as a non wealthy individual myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway. So, anyway, Ben, you can always tweet Ben at. 
Ben underscore Dowsett if you want to tweet just him and not me. But why would you want to do that? No, that don't do that. Don't do that. It feels it makes Andy feel left out. Yeah. But let's talk about Rudy Gobert a little bit. Uh, Rudy Gobert was third in, in the most improved player voting today, which, you know, it's, you, you had him as actually number one. Yeah, and I think this, I think a number of people did as well. Is three a fair result, or is it under kind of um, undervaluing him? I think this is the, probably the most arbitrary of the awards, and yeah, it and fair. a lot of it depends on your personal preferences or, or feelings as far as like I'm among the group of people that th- although I don't have like a, a de- you know a specifically defined line here, I am one of the people who doesn't. I don't like, for example, if we're actually looking at which player this year went from on a zero to 100 scale, which player jumped the most numbers this year <laughs> okay. from the previous year as far as their own skill levels, probably Anthony Davis, right? Really? Like, or, so it, I would say like Anthony Davis was like an 80 last year and now he's like a 95, you know, like on true. the NBA 2K scale, I guess. Let's put it that way, okay. right? Yeah. And I would say Rudy Gobert was like a 60 last year and went up to like an 85. Yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's possible. And, but, uh, I've been, I am one of those people who thinks that, you know, if you're a, a projected superstar and you're like a can't miss first pick, or even, in my opinion, most, you know, top five, top seven lottery picks should in general not be winning these awards because yeah. they're, we, they're supposed to get good. This is what's supposed to happen. And, and Jimmy Butler's not one of those guys, right? No, he's he not. was the 30th pick in the, in the draft yeah. is, is not, was not a touted talent coming into it. And no. yeah, and won the most valuable player, or sorry, most improved player. And then with, same with Draymond. Draymond was a second round pick. Right. So I yeah, and, and I, Rudy drafted twenty seven. So I think we are kind of fitting that. Hassan Whiteside, another guy drafted in the second round. Yeah. And then finally you have to get all the way down to sixth to find Anthony Davis in in this most improved. Oh, game. I didn't even realize that he was that he ended up being sixth. I, I as far as Gobert finishing third, I don't have a problem with him being anywhere in the every I think everyone has a slightly different set of qualifications for those. I I do think, and this is something we're gonna get to in a second, I do think that it may have reflected a bit of an early season bias. Um, specifically the 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 amount by which Butler won, which was a, a pretty large amount. Yes. Right? So Jimmy Butler got ninety two first place points uh, and five hundred thirty five total points. Kind of these these voting points. By the way, the way the system works is you get five points for a first place vote, three points for a second place vote, and one point for a third place vote. Okay. So ninety two votes for first place uh, that Jimmy Butler got. And then Draymond Green got 11. Rudy Gobert actually got 12 first place votes. So he got more first place um, votes, but than less. Draymond Green, but uh, Green had 45, or sorry, 43 second place votes compared hmm. to Gobert's 32. Okay, which ended up giving him the the small points nod overall. Okay. Um, fourth, like I said, Hassan Whiteside. Fifth, Clay Thompson. Sixth, Anthony Davis. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Seventh, Donatus Montejunas. Eighth, Dennis Schroeder. Ninth. Some good names coming there, up. Those are, yeah, it's a nice <laughs> little section right there. Damari Carroll, Tyler Zeller, Demarcus Cousins, Chris Middleton, Tyler Kyrie Zeller. Irving. That Tyler Zeller one was great because uh, uh, someone voted Tommy, him number one. Tommy Heinsohn voted him number one was because it? he's wow. Tommy Heinsohn, okay. even though his numbers were basically equivalent to his rookie season. Hey, he had Rudy like, Gobert number two. Thanks, Tommy. I guess <laughs> I don't even know if that's a, an endorsement at this point. Like that guy is nutters, but uh, <laughs> that. Yeah, I don't have a problem with where Rudy fit. I, I did want to say a real quick thing as far as this early season bias, and I, I mentioned something about this in my my piece uh, three or something weeks ago when I assessed my uh, my early season predictions from October, uh-huh. and I assessed the one where I I said that if the Jazz you know, we're in contention for a playoff berth, then so would Quinn Snyder be in contention to win the Coach of the Year award. And while it turns out I was, you know, the Jazz weren't in realistic contention, but even if they had been a few games better, he probably doesn't, he's probably not in that conversation. Yeah, and I think with, a big part... 
with this year's wow, candidates, so but also I think some of that is because of the way the narratives for certain of these awards build, and I think most improved player and coach of the year, actually, interestingly enough, and defensive player is the other one, are the ones that have the, in my opinion, the largest early season bias, where... It, you, you heard people saying it in November, like Jimmy Butler's already locked up most improved player. You, you heard that in <laughs> yeah. November, and it's at the time you're thinking, oh, you know, that sounds goofy. But I, I think for some percentage of people, we've discussed on previous weeks on this program how sometimes the, the votership for these awards isn't the greatest group in terms of doing their full due diligence of research and everything like that. I think sometimes people get caught up in like... Oh, so who's won this? Like, who already won this award? And they look back and they're like, well, okay, we in, in, in November we were saying it was Jimmy Butler, so it's Jimmy Butler. And <laughs> I'm not saying Jimmy Butler doesn't deserve to be the most improved player. I think he's got a, as good of a case as either of those other two guys, Gobert and Draymond Whiteside even could be in there as well. I, I just think that the, the, the hugeness of the gap to some degree, and just in general, the way we kind of think about these awards, I think tends to skew to the early. If the Jazz have the run they had in November instead of in January, but then they have a little bit of a down period, let's say, in January, February, and then still play really well in March and April and finish with the exact same record yeah. as they did. I think we I, see a little more. I mean, I get what you're saying, but I, I don't think it's the case. I mean, maybe it's a little more, and, and you know, I don't think that there's that big of a difference between Rudy Gobert getting 200 total points and Rudy Gobert getting 300 total points yeah, probably getting not. second or third place. But I think Jimmy Butler was the better candidate. I disagreed with you earlier on because I, I, I do feel that Jimmy Butler, A, played more minutes, even though he was hurt later on in the season. That's true. And, and was legitimately the number one guy on a top four conference playoff team. I mean, that there's something to be said for that. That's fair. My, my A lot of my argument for Rudy comes from where the, what baseline they were coming from from last year. Yeah. Where Rudy was coming from, a guy who, you know, there were scouts in the league that didn't even know who he was, for example, to this year where he's a, a you know, major force for the one of one of if not the best defenses in the league sure and, and like people knew who jimmy butler was but you know he wasn't in the top three of guys that you had to prepare for while playing the bulls yeah that's true so, yeah no I mean, and i've not i got no problem with butler winning and i don't think it's like the, any large injustice like it would have been if deandre had won defensive player or something <laughs> which is yeah your your main uh, hill to die that on. didn't happen so i'm happy like okay. I'm, I'm cool with it you did <laughs> not die on that hill yeah Let's let's move on to kind of these playoff trends that I want to talk about. Uh, so I, I mentioned it before you came in, Ben, but each of these second round series are at one and one. Uh, the, uh, it's kind of the opposite of the first round when seven of the eight series were at two to zero. Oh. Uh, do you see anything behind that? I mean, uh, to me, I think it is just a little bit of random bias. But we've also kind of gotten rid of the chronically flawed teams. You know, we've gotten rid of the Mavericks kind of teams. We've gotten rid of the Pellies. We've gotten rid of the Nets and you know I I just think that and the Raptors we found out were were again chronically flawed badly, badly um, chronically flawed so but and so we've gotten kind of rid of these teams and now I think we're seeing some good series and and you know this playoffs has has a chance to shape up again besides that amazing Spurs clips. Yeah, it's too bad that's over. Um, but I do think there's there's more parity between these teams is definitely one factor to towards all the series being equal. I think there was an element of unpreparedness from a couple teams. You look at Cleveland in game one. I think they just clearly weren't 
correctly prepared. Mm. They also just didn't shoot particularly well. I think Atlanta wasn't very well prepared in game one against Washington. When they, and I think you could maybe even say that Golden State wasn't as well prepared in game, really? two, in game two. They, I don't, I think we're, and we're going to get into this series more specifically, uh, in the next sec, in the next segment, but I think they weren't necessarily ready for some of the stuff that, uh, that Memphis did defensively as far as blitzing out. Uh, on their ball handlers and really, really pressing their ball handlers and kind of turning it into a anybody but Steph or Clay is going to beat us. Like we're going to force those guys to beat us type of game. Um, and that could just be an overreaction to one game and yeah, very I mean, well might be. I, I think that is. And we'll, and we'll break down the individual series uh, coming up in the next segment. But I, I also think that it's kind of interesting how these, these kind of issues keep being brought up by this playoff spotlight. So, mm-hmm. The hack a shack or the hack a DeAndre or the hack a Dwight, uh, we've seen kind of repeatedly where we didn't see it as much in the regular season. Uh, and, and I think, I, I mean, it's still my opinion that something has to change about that. Maybe not has to change, but probably should change just for more watchable basketball games. Okay. Um, it's Dan, Dan Clayton disagrees with you. I know, and it's fine, but I like. Dude, uh, here's what it comes down to. Basketball is entertainment. I'm paying my hard-earned money, whether it be cable bills or playoff tickets in order to watch it i should be entertained free throws aren't that entertaining why should we have more of those impossible yeah i have no problem with that part of that argument and and you're right it seems seems each year and you you can't necessarily go back and identify one for every single playoff season but it seems like there are a few of these types of things each year that tend to get highlighted by the spotlight of the playoffs the injuries is another big thing this year Definitely. Um, and I think rest and how those two tie into each other, of course, rest and injuries has kind of, you know, yeah, Blake mean, Griffin being a really good example where he last night, I think, is a, is a good uh, one of several. We've seen this postseason where he's been an absolute crazy person for some percentage of the start of the game. Last night, it was about the first half. And then he's just been so exhausted that he's been unable to sustain it. But if you're the Clippers, what what else do you do? No, like, you right? You know, your option is to play Hito Turkoglu more minutes and that's just a terrible terrible idea. He made a corner 3 last night. He made uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like that that's the exception. That's the exception that proves the rule. Like, yeah, pretty much. Hito Hito's Hito. Yeah. He's a very bad player at this point of his career. Well, and I think it 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 showcases how different of an animal this which we've talked about, uh how different of an animal this is and what uh, to me is what makes it so fun is is you just there are certain there are a lot of things in fact that you can carry over from the regular season like we're pretty sure the Warriors are pretty good at basketball from the <laughs> regular season is one of those things, but there are there's certain stuff that you're you can do your best and i think there's a lot of people that have gotten really good at it over the years at sort of intimating what these little peculiarities are going to be but there are some that you're just you don't know until they're there you you don't you're not you don't there's no way of preparing for them there's certain guys that get played off the floor yeah. there's certain sets that a certain team just can't stop and they the other team runs it into the ground on them just keeps exploiting that weak point forces certain personnel changes that we wouldn't have expected golden state is really good at that yeah oh yeah they're relentless at it in fact they're that's they're and that's kind they're of very very rude that's how you got to be you got to <laughs> ruthless if a team has one and they were i think golden state we're touching on a larger macro theme here but i think golden state was one one of the first teams we've seen it but they've they did it during the regular season too where they were they were so good at scouting and were so sure of themselves with what they do especially offensively well you know what on both I shouldn't say especially offensively because they're great on defense too they they identify what you want to do and they just take that thing away from you and just force you to be as uncomfortable as possible the entire time 
that's a real skill and a ta- and it says a lot about Steve Kerr, I think, as a as a coach. Yeah, no, I I think that's fair. I I, I want to get back to the injuries thing because I I mean I I said the word injuries earlier, but just the the sheer amount and impact of these injuries, I think it, it it's not unprecedented, but it's been it's played such a huge role. I mean, so you look at John Wall. Um, now it, it was announced today that he had five um, five five fractures in his hand. He's I just don't see how I, I haven't seen a timeline, but I mean, they're saying it's, that it's still undecided and that he still, quote unquote, hopes to play. I would say that it's hard to be a very good basketball player with five fractures. Well, he hand. did it. He did it for part of game one. I guess <laughs> that's true. No, that that's a fair point. And I mean, Chris Paul, the, again, excelled with this hamstring issue that's kept him out of both game one and game two and maybe even looks likely to hold him out of game three. I, I mean, these kind of repeated ish, injury issues just keep coming. Out. Obviously, the Kevin Love shoulder injury, that uh, the separated shoulder mm-hmm. that's now kept him completely out of the playoffs. I mean, these are big-name players that these teams are counting on. I, I would say probably the most important there is Chris Paul, just in terms of kind of championship-contending hopes. A- and if they're out for an entire series or an entire playoffs in Love's case, or even one or two games in the Wizards' case, the Wizards depend so much on John Wall that we could see, you know, maybe some some chaos. I guess. Well, and perhaps the best example of just how much a single player can mean has been Mike Conley with Memphis, who That's an, yeah, another good he comes example. back in Game Two, and I, I, I mean, he looked great, but at the same time, you there's no way to think that he was a hundred percent of himself right away with not being in game shape and all the he's got multiple maladies. He's got the foot and he's got his broken face and he, the whole thing with him, but it was night and day for Memphis as far as what they were able to do in the perimeter, how they were able to bother and go at Golden State. And that's one player. That's it shows you what the drop off. I mean, the drop off from him to Nick Calathis, for example, is <laughs> yeah. massive. The drop off from Chris Paul to Austin Rivers that is massive. That's and John yeah. Wall to whoever they're starting instead of John Wall, which Ramon the, Sessions. There, well, and there were rumors that it was who's uh, who's the other guy. Um, oh, come on, I can't think of it now. There were rumors that uh, they were oh, Will Bynum. They're gonna start Will Bynum. There were rumors that they were gonna start Will I Bynum. Did, I miss those rumors because Will Bynum is again is like the fringiest of fringe NBA players. Yeah, that's a good way of describing it. Yeah, they should probably not start Will Bynum. Probably not. Like Ramon Session is like somewhat passable, but Will Bynum has no point has ever screamed NBA starting point guard. Well, so speaking of all these injuries and the the kind of the situations that each team is in, they one of the only teams without one of these major injuries to one of their best players is the Golden State Warriors, who were the best team anyway and kind of didn't need the help. It's unfair. Do you do you do uh, do you see a a, te- a realistic scenario where that team doesn't win the championship at yeah, this point? No, I, I think they're. I, I, you know, I think they're probably I mean, okay. They're definitely the favorites. I don't know if I would say that they're, you know, like more than 50% favorites yet. I still think that there's enough that could go wrong. You know, if one of these injuries does happen to Steph Curry, for example, I think they're done. Well, um, yeah. Or it, even to someone like Bogut, I think they'd struggle. Or Draymond. Um, or Draymond. I mean, yeah, if one of these injuries happens, there's still so much that can go wrong. Memphis, uh, I don't, I wouldn't call what they did in game two to beat war- the Warriors a, a blueprint. But they show that there there's some weaknesses that that okay. they can attack. Um, you know uh, that series is far from over. Having, you know now Memphis having home court advantage for the rest of the series in the, yeah. in the remaining five games. Uh, the Clippers I think could pose a real threat to to the Warriors and, and especially with a healthy Chris Paul. 
now that the Rockets do have a healthy Dwight Howard, I think they could also post a threat, especially kind of preventing them, uh, present, preventing the Warriors from doing what they do so well interiorly. And then the Rockets' defense, uh, perimeter defense, is actually quite good at, at preventing those threes. I think that could be, uh, you know, maybe not a devastating matchup, but a little bit tricky for the Warriors. Okay. And then you look at maybe a potential opponent of the Cavs in in the finals. And again, it's hard to say. It's very hard to beat LeBron, you know. That's true I, I to think a point. I think it's fair to say that they could lose in that series, although, again, certainly wouldn't be favored. So I think they're favored at each step of the process, if you will. But there are enough, like, ifs and buts. And, you know, if everyone stays healthy and if the Clippers don't get Chris Paul back all the way, you know, there's enough that could go wrong that I'm not ready to just call it over yet. That's fair enough. Now, now, do you, if you had to take, you know, Eastern Conference versus Western Conference, what are the percentage odds that, like, what does the Western, or does the East have more than like a ten to fifteen percent chance right now yeah. at having the title winner? Yeah, I mean, are uh, are the Cavs better? Let, let me ask, where do the Cavs rank in the rest of the four Western Conference playoff teams? That's really hard to say. I are think, they but fifth? I, th- I, they might be. I think they might be. I think they might. Yeah. I I think they might be fourth above Memphis. Maybe and I don't know if I have Memphis, Memphis last. I don't know if I have Memphis last in the okay, West then currently. Who do you have la- uh, that's is, the problem. I don't you know, know which ma- team I do. We're making this like we should really have come up with a rankings. In fact, maybe we should do that during the break. I don't know if you can at this point, but <laughs> yeah, no. I I do that said. I do think that the Eastern Conference has been weakened noticeably by the Love thing, and then by Atlanta just not being what we maybe had hoped they would be in this postseason. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Like, and, and we saw those as kind of like the clear favorites to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, and and really that was the battle we were all expecting as this. Cavs Hawks battle, but now you know the Hawks really struggled against Brooklyn of all teams, and Brooklyn is is you know not a good, very very flawed team. Yeah, um, and then the Cavs without Kevin Love uh, looked pretty pretty dismal in their game one, and whether that's due to rest, whether that's due to just not being ready, um, then they really turned on the and turned on the Jets in game two. Don't get me wrong, but I, again, we're seeing weaknesses from teams that I didn't know that I would w- would see weaknesses from. Yeah, and some of it is injury force, and some of it is just a little peculiar. Although I think maybe a lot of people did see this coming with Atlanta. The whole don't have a superstar, don't have one guy who can just get a shot when you need a shot, that sort yeah. of thing. And if this, you know, if everybody's looks aren't going down, all of a sudden the whole team scheme starts to fall apart a little bit. That's I don't know if it's that or if it's just they've missed some shots that they, they have, normally make. Like Kyle Korver is normally better uh, than a thirty-six three-point shooter, thirty-six percent. Sorry, which yeah. I believe is what he is for the playoffs. Uh, you know, it's those sort of things that you usually see. They've missed so many layups. I mean, yeah, that's I, true it's, too. It's just weird how bad they're finishing right now. You know, if they can get that together, and I, and I think they can. You know, like Paul Millsap can make layups. I, I think they'll be better moving forward. I think they're still favored in this series against Washington, uh, especially without John Wall. If there's no John but, Wall, they're big favorites. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it, it's it is a little bit weird. We'll talk more about that series. Uh, actually, we'll talk more about that series. In the next segment, uh, along with Golden State Warriors and the Memphis Grizzlies, okay, that's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of Salt City Hoops. Ben Towson on the other side. Ben's in a little bit of a predicament right now yeah. because it is 7:30. The downtown laws say that you can you can 
you, it's until 8 that you can't park anywhere, right? So, like, you can park in these stalls, but you have to pay until 8 o'clock. Ben did not pay because the credit card machine was broken. I so. will, I'm going to be frustrated if they give me, because <laughs> I tried. I put my card in that thing at least three or four times. The very best thing is that Ben's car is right outside our show window. And so when and if the, the parking gods come, they we will watch Ben's car just get ticketed and, and the sadness that ensues. So the, the timer starts now, if you will. We have 30 minutes until Ben can escape without getting the notice of the police. And by the way, if any of you are listening to the show, we're not telling you where we record from. Because <laughs> otherwise, yeah, I guess I, I didn't realize that, right? The parking people could be listening. That's true. Yeah, we're up on the hill. Go up on the hill. <laughs> Go up there. That's where we are. Uh, so I'm, I'm just looking forward to that, to add a, a sense of drama to proceedings for the rest of the half I drive hour. a black SUV. <laughs> <laughs> A, pr- a Prius <laughs> SUV, black Prius SUV. See, you guys got to decide on which lie you're gonna go, go with. Man. All right, that's that's lying 101. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's start breaking down these playoff series. Let, let's start with the the Warriors Grizzlies. I, I think probably the the series with at least the best team, the Warriors, as we talked about going into the break. Uh, first of all, I, I am legitimately surprised that the Grizzlies were able to win Game Two. I mean, that is. As I mentioned, the first home loss for the Warriors since January. That's an incredible statistic. Um, the, all of Claymont, uh, or sorry, Clay, I almost called him Claymont's Green. Draymond's Green, <laughs> Clay Thompson, and Steph Curry, they all had terrible shooting nights. Uh, and, and then Mike Conley returned and, and played extremely well for the Grizzlies. It all seemed like it came together for the Grizzlies in Game 2 in order to, for them to get the win. It did. and you. So we t- the Warriors really truly have been historically dominant over the last several months, especially at home. And we there have been games, right, where they've been behind or they've been... Uh, and they've lived... I mean, they've lost games, not at home, of course. They've lost road games um, where... But you've, I think the difference with that game too was it act, this was one of the first times all year where they, it actually looked like they were truly uncomfortable for large hmm. chunks of time on the floor. And that's what the Grizzlies do better than anybody they else. They really do. And we, I think we saw them flex sort of their peak uncomfortable forcingness, <laughs> if okay. you will, because they, they you, the, yes, there have been plenty of, or several at least games where one or two of the main guys for Golden State just are missing shots. And it's just like, well, they're getting these shots and they're just missing them. And that's what it is. They might lose this game because of that. But this is one of the first ones where you were actually thinking they're actually struggling to get the stuff they want. They only, I think, got 24 uncontested shots yeah, in that game, too. Yeah, which is very low. Average is yeah. around 36 or so. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you, that's, that's excellent defense by the Grizzlies. Very stifling. Very, uh, it was almost, un- as you point out, uncomfortable for the Warriors to do what they normally do. And then they only made five of those uncontested yeah. shots, which you know obviously is less than they normally would make. The, of course, the Warriors, the league's best team at making. Open yeah, shots. and I th- I think this is to a point. This is what people were at least get smart people were getting at when they <laughs> said things like we're not sure if this team is tested yet, so on and so forth. Because when you talk about playoff experience, I think I don't I think people assume that you're t- when you're talking about playoff veterans, you're talking about like, oh, you know, he's used to being in games where the crowd is loud, or he's used to being in in pressure-packed situations where you can feel the tension of the situation. I actually don't think that's as much of it. I think what we're talking about is a larger portion of it. A guy who's been in a situation before where a team like the Warriors just aren't used to being taken out of their comfort zone at all. And the guy, these the veterans we're talking about and who maybe just to a small point the Warriors are lacking are guys that have been there long enough in the playoffs to say okay these guys have got us out of our element this is how we react essentially yeah. 
And I don't, I've never been in a huge playoff series as an NBA player, so I can't necessarily say if it's a huge factor, but I think it is maybe a small factor, and we'll see if it becomes a larger one as the series, if they have more, uh, sort of toughness going as the series goes on. I mean, really, the only one on that roster is Steve Kerr, who's won, and I guess he's not even really on the roster. But yeah. Who's, who's won. Iguodala has been in the playoffs. He's never really been far. And so has but, Andrew Bogut. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little bit weird. Um, Sean Livingston, I guess, has been too yeah. with the Nets. But again, like these are short little stints. Yeah. I, I, I don't put a lot of stock in like you need playoff experience to win in the playoffs. I don't think you I need think, it, but I think for things like that, it can be helpful tangibly. Hmm. To a point, at least. Now, of course, there are more important things. And I had a couple little strategy uh, thought, tactical thoughts from this that yeah, I'll just reel off super quick. First of all, Conley's return allowed the three-headed monster on the perimeter, that being Conley, Tony Allen, and Courtney Lee, who's played very well, by the way, in these playoffs. Very, very well, especially in Game 2. It allowed them to be really, really aggressive on Golden State ball handlers. Uh, they were trapping pick-and-rolls very high. They were sometimes even throwing... Uh, help wings over, like leaving their marks really, really far to come over and disrupt the driving lanes and or shooting lanes for guys like Steph. It seemed really in a large way like they were saying, Steph and Clay are not beating us. We're going to throw multiple guys at Steph and we're going to throw Tony Allen at Clay, which is a, a pretty good coverage one on one right there. And we're going to force them to put the ball elsewhere. And even we're going to give odd man advantages for other guys, but we're still going to force them to be the ones who beat us. And it's interesting that they did it because, I mean, the classic coaching move would have been to put Tony Allen on Steph Curry and then, you know, let Clay beat you. But I think Steph has gotten so good at finding kind of finding those open guys when he is being guarded by the opposing team's best perimeter defender that that maybe having clay be guarded by that guy throws a, a little bit of a different look at them yeah absolutely and then the other thing they did which i think a lot of people keyed on before the series is they've gone really heavily at draymond green in the post with either zach randolph or marcus Gasol, whoever's on him and he got in foul trouble in this last game and like yeah. pseudo foul trouble in game one as well and that's that's a big thing. Their defense and their whole approach really changes when he has to leave the game. Memphis was able to build their lead in game two while he was sitting on the bench because they got him two quick early fouls. And I think that's a, something to keep an eye on going forward. No, that's that's a good point. Um, let's move on to Hawks Wizards. I, first of all, the John Wall injury, as we pointed out, five fractures in his hand. So uh, it, it's questionable whether he's going to be playing in game three. Questionable if he'll play the rest of the series. We really just don't know yet how... Uh, John Wall will respond to this injury. Uh, he is absolutely the most important player in the Wizards, um, and, and it's not particularly even close. He might be the most important player to any team left in the playoffs, quite frankly. Except LeBron to the Cavs, I would say. Okay. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I, I mean, think that's when you're a... being compared to LeBron, that's that's a. Yeah. That's a good thing. No, it's, I did a piece on John Wall for Basketball Insiders last week, and I was excited about it and excited to see him kind of continue his, his play because he was really becoming the – some of the full package that we've expected from him for a couple years. He's still not, isn't quite the three point shooter that we were hoping for, but his, everything else in his game is so, his passing is the, the speed at which he can move and still make accurate passes is maybe rivaled only by LeBron in the league. Hmm. He's, he's so fast. He's such a good defender also. He's a great player. It's, I really hope that maybe there's a chance that he can still play even, I mean, be a warrior who knows um <laughs> i mean chris paul like we pointed out did it in game seven in order to get his team through that and and really came through in in the most important of moments uh you know with the injury it's impressive john wall you don't want to make a guy play when he's hurt and you know you don't want to see eight fractures in his hand or yeah, something like that no. but 
Do you uh, see any chance they can win this series without him? No. No. And no, Atlanta's better. I mean, what? You say probably Atlanta has the next four best players in that series? Yeah, probably. <laughs> right? Like, so then if all of a sudden they have the best four players in that series, that's a real problem. Yeah, that definitely is. Now, what would you put their chances at? Let's say he can come back and let's say he's 60% can play for the rest of the series. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the Hawks haven't been that great. I mean, it seems like their offense isn't working like it did in the regular season for whatever reason. And again, they're not making shots. They're missing a lot of layups. Uh, Kyle Korver is shooting poorly from downtown, which is which is a weird sentence to say. But I don't even think it's true. I'm pretty sure we're just in alternate reality and fooling <laughs> ourselves at the moment. It's probably not true. He's but making threes somewhere. It, it's like, just it's weird. Like we kind of had this expectation of this incredible rolling Hawks offense that that existed during the first part of the, I guess, during the regular season period. And then come playoff time, it, it's kind of sputtered a little bit. And weirdly, Damari Carroll has been kind of the, the standout guy so far. He's getting himself paid from the way he's played over this this summer, basically. He's, uh, excuse, not this summer, this playoffs. He's shooting, like a, I think, still above 40% from three, if I'm not mistaken. It's been their best defender, which we knew that was going to be the case anyway. That what's and because what's crazy is Tabo Cephalosha no longer exists. No, yeah, Tabo was uh, was injured by the police, and wow. the the what's crazy is assuming they do advance, they're going to need even more from Damari Carroll to have yeah. a shot after that because it's, he's the only guy on that team that can check LeBron or Jimmy Butler or Jimmy Butler. <laughs> I well, we're going to get to Cavs after this, but I still I don't think there's very much chance the Bulls win that series. That's, still, that's fair. I also like playoff Randy Whitman. I want to talk about that for a little bit because. Okay. Everyone kind of agreed that Randy Whitman was a terrible coach. Did a pretty um, bad job. Did a pretty bad job the regular season. And then you look at his playoff record, and it's actually, like, pristine. Like, he's lost one away playoff game in his playoff coaching career. Or, like, these kind of, like, incredible stats that don't seem like they should fit with Randy Whitman. And all the while, he's also, like rotating his board so that it's the right way around he can't like, even put his, <laughs> his his board the right way the, his whiteboard uh, yeah. to, to drop the plays like i, I just think uh, it, it's a weird phenomenon but it, it does seem like he's also making the correct decisions during this this series i don't know what it is i don't know if he's one of these guys who thinks he's being really protective of his best stuff during the regular season or something like that and really is trying to pull an extremely long con on everybody <laughs> by like I'm not going to play my best five players together at any point during the regular season that's, and then I'm just going to decide to do it during the playoffs that's like, a very very long con that's like convincing others that takes real discipline to convince others that you're a terrible coach for 82 whole games yeah and only to just show off your your sheer brilliance which makes me think that he's series. not really doing it but I, I don't know not. I don't know what the other answer he's not is because bagging his coaching skill I mean there's no injury that's forced him to do what they did in the Toronto <laughs> series which was basically play Paul Pierce at the four a lot spread right. the floor out and give wall the full the full court to use his powers the full space essentially to use his his talents and and win games i like powers as a term powers yeah that works um i'm just the, nothing necessitated that they didn't there was there was no major injury <laughs> just there was became no a better thing. coach they it just kind of happened all of a sudden well the way toronto defended them certainly helped them into that but i mean toronto was playing two bigs toronto didn't downsize and force them to go to paul pierce at the four it just they started doing it more. I don't know. I'm I'm yeah. not sold that it's anything more than him just like kind of randomly like pick like pick you know putting a pen down on a piece of paper in, <laughs> in random spots and just hoping that it hits the right place. I don't know. It's hard to say. It's a phenomenon for sure. I I, I still love it. I just think that that's incredible. It's like uh, the playoff rand playoff Rajon Rondo is the player equivalent 
play off Randy Whitman as the coaches. Yeah, that's, I guess that's fair. Well, we have 18 minutes left until 8 o'clock. Your car still has not been ticketed. Yes. We're, we're making it through counting down. We're going to go ahead and take a break. But on the other side, we're going to be breaking down the other two playoff series. That's going to be Cavs, Bulls, and Clippers, Rockets. That's coming up next on Salt City Hoops ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. Andy Larson here, managing editor of Salt City Hoops. Ben Dowsett over there on the other side. You can always tweet us at Andy B. Larson or at Ben underscore Dowsett. To give you an update on the Ben's car parking saga, he has 13 minutes left to successfully avoid a parking ticket. Uh, we're watching his car outside of the window, his window. He was actually had some trouble finding the spot, ended up finding this one, but couldn't pay because the machines were broken. And so here we are hoping that... I'm kind of hoping for a ticket, i got to no. be honest. I see there's some cars backed up. They're not backed up because somebody stopped giving me a ticket right now, are they? <laughs> uh, no, it doesn't look like it. Someone is pulling out, or I don't know. Nice. I, I, I don't think that your impending doom is, is nigh. Okay, sweet. Um, <laughs> but, like, I, I'm definitely, like, talking while watching your car and seeing what's going to be happening. This is just next. riveting radio for the folks at home. <laughs> Anyway, let's talk about what you know. We're paid to talk about the NBA, the NBA playoffs, and uh, what do you what do you say? West Com- West Western Conference or Eastern Conference first? Eastern Conference first. Let's do the Cavs All right, series. Cavs Bulls, cool. Uh, I th- I think again, this series is a little bit surprising to me that it's one one. I I kind of expected the Cavs to dominate even um, after the love news. Even after the love news, I really kind of did. Uh, I guess I've never been a believer in the Bulls playoff chances. Does that have to do with Thibodeau? Uh, that has to do with Thibodeau, yeah. Setting up his season such that his players will play worse at the end of it just by playing yeah. them 43 minutes a night. And, and then also that Derrick Rose is no longer a, a superstar-level player. And ultimately, I think their offense is often too reliant on kind of these Luol Deng sort of players who aren't actually all the, that efficient. And yeah. I guess Luol Deng is no longer on the polls, obviously. But you kind of get my point, like, their, their offense has never been particularly efficient. No, it hasn't. And Ro, you're right about Rose, especially rest. We talked about rest earlier as a playoff trend. It's a big thing for him. It's I don't remember who did the piece, but somebody did it, and it's been a big <laughs> theme on on Twitter recently during the Bulls games. Is that Rose on two or more days of rest in between games? is like noticeably significantly way, way better than Rose on one day of rest or zero days of rest. Hmm. So these more recent games are all one day of rest in between, and he's generally not as good in those games. Um, How about game three? Will they have two days off? No, I think that's it's tomorrow, right? I'm pretty sure that's tomorrow okay. night, which would mean that it's just one day in between. Um and I think it's that. I think they play tomorrow, and then I think they play Sunday as well, and then I'm not sure what the series is right, after they play that. play Friday... Uh, and then we'll see about Saturday and Sunday. Sorry. Yep, um, no, and they Sunday, play, so I know right. they play Sunday, yeah. So, yeah, it is kind of every other day. Thus, we get bad rows from here on out. Essentially. Um, and then for me and the way my mind works and enjoys basketball, this has been one of the more entertaining series because I think it's the one remaining where rotations and matchups matter the most hmm. because – both teams kind of, and especially Cleveland now with the, especially in games one and two with missing both two starters, J.R. Smith and Kevin Love, and even going forward, just missing Love. But also with the Bulls, I think Joakim Noah sort of functions in this similar role of being kind of a weak spot that we're, we've I'm definitely right now with we haven't, 
Joakim Noah? Like, yeah, he's been he's really been He's like one bad. of 14 on free throws for the playoffs. Something wow. like that. Like some terrible number. Like, he's, he's like He was an 80% free throw shooter last year. He's just one of these guys who it seemed like it, it, so much of his game right relied on his ability to, to move successfully and to be able to move at peak ability. Yeah. And he just, he, something's up with his body. It's just betrayed him at this point. He's too many times of getting hit and too many 45-minute games from Tom Thibodeau. I think he's got to be hide, hiding an injury of some I, think would, I don't think it's like a repetitive usage sort of injury. I think it's a an actual injury. injury that he's trying to tough through. Okay. And that- I mean, remember with the Luol Deng thing, like Tom Thibodeau is very, very much about playing through injuries, even if, you know, you need a spinal tap. Which is ridiculous. Um and Thibodeau just has not, in my opinion, been all and this is something again Thibodeau lots of lots Luol of, Deng's career. I'm oh he really about that. He really did. And he he's <laughs> Whatever people want to frame the narrative as about his potential uh, departure from from Chicago at the end of the season, just talking about putting the best players on the floor to win basketball games, he hasn't been doing it. Hmm. it clearly, I mean, we know Miritich is hobbled after the the first round when he had that injury, but he's clearly he's not incapable of playing. He was on the floor last night. But he, the times when he was were the the most ridiculous times. He didn't play him. He didn't play Miritich for the first like twenty six minutes of the game. But then when they were down twenty, he put him in for two minutes real quick at the end of the first half. Then he played him again in garbage time. It to me the rotations that Thibodeau is doing, especially against this particular Cavs team, knowing that this Cavs team only has two bigs that can really actually play at any point. I don't think he's taken nearly enough advantage of what of some of the Cavs deficiencies that they've had. And that if you put a better coach in there as far as that game manager, I would give Chicago a, a, a significantly a higher chance of winning this series than I actually give them, which is currently, I, I still think there's almost no chance they win that series. <laughs> okay. Uh, you also had a note on David Blatt's rotations. Yeah. Um, although they did better with them last night, I, I think they've kind of just accepted a trade-off. Knowing that Love is going to be out of the game there and out of the playoffs, they've accepted that they're going to put Tristan Thompson in for their main lineup in his place, and they're going to sacrifice the shooting. Obviously, you're not going to have four guys that can shoot at any point now, but you're going to add a little bit of defense. I think Thompson's a better defender than Love, and most importantly, you're going to rebound. They've rebounded like 44% of their shots, missed shots, while both Love or both... Mozgov and and Thompson have been on the floor in this series. Wow, that's Some, a, lot. a huge number. They've decided we're going to punt the shooting, but we know that a hard, such a higher percentage of our misses are going to get rebounded that we're going to uh, essentially make up for it. Hmm. Long term, it's not a strategy that's going to be able to beat a, a Warriors or a Clippers or somebody in the finals, but a team like the Bulls and I think even a team like Atlanta or Washington in the next round, it's going to work against them, I think. Fair enough. I no, I I, th- I think that's a good point. Let, let's move on to Clippers Rockets. Um so much of this is about Chris Paul and whether or not he can play. Yeah. Uh, again, this is this consistent theme of injuries just making a huge impact on this year's playoffs. I, I, again, they were really actually really impressive in game one without Chris Paul. Uh, last night, not so much. I, I I don't think that they can win the series without Chris Paul. No. Uh, they just, you know, Austin Rivers is too much of a downgrade. Yeah. And, and at some point, Harden's going to figure it out. They've had a lot of success with being really aggressive against him, collapsing on him, and they've kind of figured his timing out a little bit, it seems to me, on the pick-and-roll. He's turning the ball over on like over, almost half his pick-and-rolls in this series, wow, or maybe and, even and more. he's one of the best pick-and-roll players in the league. One of the very best, especially as far as picking guys out on the perimeter when defense is collapsing on him. But the Clippers have seemed to have scouted his timing really, really well. They know when he wants to pass, when he realizes that the basket's been closed off and wants to find that shooter. They've done a, a pretty good job collapsing on it and caused some turnovers. Turnovers, but 
you have to assume with a player as good as him that that's not going to last, and that when it does, the Clippers are going to need that boost from their superstar, and if they don't have him, I don't think they're going to have enough to get there, even with Blake playing absolutely out of his mind. Yeah, and he has played really well. Uh, Dwight Howard has also played really well. He has. See that segue? That was well done. Very very well Um, done. (laughs) But uh, especially coming back from injury, and this is kind of two years in a row where Dwight Howard has played very well in the playoffs, isn't getting a lot of, uh, of, I guess, national talk about it, but is is playing extremely well, doing kind of the things that the, the Rockets need, especially with Harden struggling so much. And then just kind of that battle between him and DeAndre Jordan has been has been really fun to watch, especially above the rim. It has been. With Dwight back to looking at least mostly like his old self, we may be looking at the two most athletic centers in the league currently in, the, in these two guys going at each other. It, Dwight is looking like what a lot like what he used to. His one of my favorite things with him is the double his second jump. You talk about this with a big guy where he he jumps the first time to try and get a block or whatever, but then needs to jump quickly a second time to try and get a rebound or even to get another block or it was a pump fake or whatever. Yeah, he, that was what made what separated him from other guys his size or one of the things that separated him was how quickly he could do that. That's back. I saw that a few times last night where he was back in the air so quickly again. You're like it makes him seem taller than he is. Is basically, if he keeps playing this well, Houston little dark horse chance if both him and Harden can get it going at the same time. Do you think who's more likely to win the series? I still think Houston. I had Houston. I'm sticking with it. Okay, that's fair. Well, your car has four minutes left. Still no tickets left. Come on, I think you're gonna go. Nice. Uh, you're gonna be good. That's gonna come up on the other side of the break. We'll give an update as well as have Kareem Copeland from the Associated Press join us to talk about the Jazz, their workouts, draft, etc. That's here on Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of saltcityhoops.com. Ben Dowsett, associate editor, joins me as always on the show. Uh, And we can successfully announce that your car was not towed or even ticketed. It's actually kind of anticlimactic, I'm going to be honest, but... Congrats on on, on no, it's like climactic for me. It's, I'm really happy right now. I've I've made it. Uh, I, I I like that made it is yeah. the term that you use. It's mm-hmm. not even like I have I have avoided the ticket, but you have no. you've made it. I've period. made it. Yeah. I'm happy. <laughs> That's all you can ask for. We're getting Kareem on the line right now. Uh, Kareem Copeland's is the Associated Press writer for the Utah Jazz. We're excited to have him on. He he's been to both of the Jazz's workouts as as well as I was um, yesterday and today. We, we kind of learned some interesting things from Walt Perrin, uh, as well as honestly, these guys are really fun to interview. Like th- these are twelve guys who know that they're not in most mock drafts right now, not yeah. even in the second round. But they're they're happy to be there. They're excited to be part of their of making their NBA dream, and it's it's really kind of fun to interview these guys before they get jaded i guess by the whole nba process that's a good yeah that's a good point and, and so i mean just tj price for example was so positive today uh trayvon jackson uh the wisconsin point guard was was stellar i mean i i'm just kind of excited to to talk to these guys um let's go ahead and i think we've got cream cream are you there oh yeah i'm here hey cool hey thanks for joining us so this is cream copeland associated press beat writer for the utah jazz uh cream I kind of want to talk to you first about these workouts. I mean, it's not big names, certainly, right? I mean, these guys are not in the Draft Express mock draft. Again, not even in the second round. 
But uh, we were just talking about it. They're they're fun to talk to. These guys kind of I, I don't know if it's that they're not jaded by the NBA process yet or what what the deal is. But I mean, like Trayvon Jackson was a hoot today. TJ Price was fun. Some guys yesterday were were good to interview. They're just they're really excited to make their NBA dreams come true. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, you got you're you're at this point where you get this opportunity, and um, it's it's funny because it's it's this weird gray period in between. You know, all these guys were still the stars of their college team. You know, um, and and but this is still that gray period. Uh-oh. Nope, we cut off for a second there. Are you still there, Kareem? Uh, yep. Okay, sorry, we cut off for a half second, but I, I I had planned to ask you anyway. Were there any guys, so as Andy mentioned and as you mentioned, these these are guys that are highly unlikely, I think is a, a nice way of, of saying it, that they're going to be drafted or that they're going to be playing on NBA rosters immediately starting next year. But were there any guys in the two workouts so far that kind of surprised you a little bit and made you think, well, maybe this guy has a little bit of, of dark horse potential for any reason and or a guy that might you think might fit really well with the Jazz as one of their sort of projects down the line oh it's so hard to say that for sure and especially you know we didn't get to watch the entire workout um one of the guys that is from specifically um are jackson and atkins i think we're having a couple problems with with Kareem's it's phone here. It's hard too because Kareem is just like about to say the the best nugget possible. He's about to, he's like, I think some of the nuggets of this draft are, and and, and there it oh goes. no, and oh anyway, Kareem, are you there? We've lost Kareem. Let let's try calling Kareem back. I guess let's let's go ahead and do that. Yeah, because I want to know what he was about to say. I know. There, there's so much tension there. <laughs> it's been a very dramatic Salt City Hoop show. It has been <laughs> <laughs> the tickets and everything. Um, well, same question to you then. Okay. And I know he's right. There were there's very little time for you guys to see the actual workouts when you're there. But was there anybody or who just impacted you as far as their maturity level and as far as what you think about uh, the sort of the mental side? Yeah, I, I like Trayvon Jackson a lot, and you know he's a guy with an NBA father, father Jimmy Jackson. Yep, went to um, Ohio State, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Jimmy Jackson. I believe you're right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was was a good player on a team that made it all the way to the championship game. And and then, uh, you know, was hurt for part of the year. But it, you look at how he talked about this, too, and I thought that was really interesting, of how he feels that his game will be better in an NBA system because there is so much more spacing on the floor. Okay. Uh, and just feels that maybe he can use that space in order to attack the floor. He's not a good three-point shooter. Uh, shot just 28% for last year and 33% mm-hmm. overall. So he's not going to be a space-to-floor guy, but as a point guard, maybe he can use that speed and, uh, and that spacing that the NBA level provides in order to uh, kind of get to the hole a little bit better. Okay. I believe we, st- we got Kareem back. Again, this is Kareem Copeland, Associated Press beat writer for the Utah Jazz. Kareem, are you there? <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Me and my great technology, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Ben, you had a question for him. Uh, yeah, and you you were kind of partway through answering it, so I think I'm going to actually kind of move to the next one anyway. Okay, now, cool. you guys both, uh, I think on both days, if I'm not mistaken, got a chance to talk to Walt Perrin, who's a, a, a high high up muckamuck in the in the Jazz's front office. As it, <laughs> Vice as, President of Player Personnel is his job title. I prefer high up muckamuck, <laughs> personally. <laughs> okay. Um, what were some of the more interesting, I'll, I'll ask Kareem first, and then Andy, I think you as well can give your answers. What, what did you think were some of the more interesting parts of, of the conversations with Walt? 
Um, honestly, I thought some of the more interesting stuff was actually after we got off the record and we were just kind of standing around talking. Um, this is, I was talking to the guys about it, uh, Andy, I was talking to Andy and um, uh, guys about it earlier today with the fact that it, it, it's funny, he's, he's like one of those guys, the basketball guys, whenever you talk to him, you feel like, you know, like you're learning something about the game, you're learning something about the process. I, I was saying earlier, I always think was interviewing Tom Capers, uh, the Packers defensive coordinator. You walked away and you go, man, you're just learning something about football. And that's what it felt like talking to Walt. Um, one of the most interesting things that I thought was him talking about how he goes about bringing in these workouts and how he, he tries to, um, you know, line up certain guys or certain body types to work out with each other and, and things that he's looking for. I thought it was interesting that – that whole process as opposed to just, you know, hey, can you be here on Tuesday and whoever can be here can be here. Um, well, like today, you, I'll be, before I before we even got in there to talk to them, I'm looking through and you're looking at, I think there was two guys that were defensive players of the year for their conference. And then you had Jackson, who um, obviously Wisconsin is a big defensive-minded program. And so I thought it was interesting the fact that you brought in um, – you know, a lot of defensive guys, and Walt talked right away about the energy of the workouts. And, hey, I didn't need to, you know, none of us needed to really prod these guys. I think he said he got through the entire workout um, earlier than they expected. And and then I was asking him about how does that, does that correlate a little bit with the fact that you had some defensive-minded guys, and those are usually your energy guys. You know, those are the guys that you usually don't have to um, – to put energy out of. And so it was things like that, it, you know, not huge things that we're going to write big stories about, but little things about the process and, and little things about what he looks for in a player. Those things are really um, interesting to me just because I think you get a better insight of, of just these teams are formed and what these executives are looking for. So that kind of stuff is really uh, really interesting. That's that's really interesting. That, that especially the part about kind of trying to bring in similarly themed players for the. I, I like that because you can. It's almost a way of using the players as a barometer against each other, if you will, to a certain point. Andy, what about you? I, you had a couple interesting thoughts on Walt Perrin's comments as well. Yeah, I mean, to that point, I think it's that especially with these sort of fringe guys, like you can kind of do those similarly matched players and, and kind of get an idea of where they rank, so to speak. Mm-hmm. The guys in the first round, and, and Walt was talking about this, definitely won't let you do that, right? Like yeah. the they, their agents are very afraid of being kind of compared to those guys, especially the one the agent for the top guy doesn't want to be compared to the bottom guy, lest his guy drop. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you know that's definitely easier in these kind of pre uh, combine workouts where you can only draft, you can only work out the seniors. But I, I agree. I, I thought Walt's comments were very interesting. I thought it was interesting when he talked about how he recognized that he had some biases in evaluating these players, but kind of had to see past what those biases were or work with the other parts of his, his team to kind of determine what, uh, what he thought, uh, what he truly thought about these players, kind of trying to find the truth about these guys. Uh, also, just that today's workout was, was as good as he was. I mean, we, we talked to all those guys, and, and we heard from TJ Price that today's workout was, was tense, was the word that he used, was just... Huh that they were battling. He talked about that five of the six guys were very good communicators. And so there was a lot of, there was a lot of yelling on the floor, a lot of good communication. I I mean, I I just thought it was very interesting what Walt Perrin thought a good workout was. 
And then finally, that the Jazz are doing workouts right now at this part of the process is is interesting. You know, this is this is the earliest that any team is doing pre draft workouts. Yeah, I was gonna um, I was gonna ask Kareem isn't isn't you've been to multiple stops, uh, not all NBA, but you've been in multiple uh, media outlets. Is it it's pretty unusual, right, for a team to be holding these workouts as early as the Jazz are? Correct. Oh, absolutely! It surprised it surprised the mess out of me the other day when I got the email that said they were going to start. I, I, I was completely flustered. I had started. I pulled up my computer and started looking up NBA dates as far as when the lottery was and and when the uh, when the combine was because it just shocked me. I did, that was I, I thought we still had a, a at least a couple more weeks, but um, I and, and they talked about the their thought process behind that uh, being that this is an opportunity. Uh, not just for them to kind of get some dry runs, I think uh, Walt called it yesterday, as far as workouts and make sure they, you know, they, they're dealing with, uh, you know, this. the Jazz have had this coaching staff for a year, but at the same time, they didn't, I think, I think Quinn got hired on June 7th last year, and then the, and then the rest of the staff got filled out after. So those guys weren't around for the beginning of the workout. So I thought it was interesting with the fact that he said, hey, you know, we're kind of a little bit going through this for the first time with this coaching staff, so and, and tweaking it to some of the things that they like. And this kind of gives us a run to go through with some guys that, you know, aren't probably going to get drafted at all. It's, but it also gives these players an opportunity to, stay, to see what, it's, what the – what this next month is going to be like. They go around and they on into the Yeah, Walt Perrin kind of said that it was a dry run almost for the coaches, right? Like that even this was the coaches' first time going through the workout process. So for them to be able to do it with these non-drafted players was a big deal before kind of the – the big and, and long and, and more important workouts come later on in the process. Definitely. Okay, so now, Kareem, I have, I think, what's the most important question of this segment for you. Um, for those who don't know, guys, Kareem is Kareem is my, he's my shoe game guy. Like, when I need to know whether somebody is on point or not on point with their shoe game, Kareem is the first person I am talking to 100% of the time. And if you've ever seen him at jazz games, there, there, that, there was a reason for that. It's because he is the number one on his shoe game at the at the jazz games always got a different pair of Jordans. I'm I'm in awe in in fact most of the time. So, with that in mind, who has had the best shoe game thus far at the workouts that you've noticed and who on the jazz has the and now we we can be talking about on court or off court anything on the jazz, who has the best overall shoe game on the jazz that you've noted so far? <laughs> That's kind of funny because I kind of I kind of expected you guys to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was so I was kind of racking my brain and, and and I was trying to jot down a couple notes and things that I kind of remembered um, from the workouts. Uh, yesterday, what I I thought yesterday was really interesting. I saw I think I saw at least three different players with three different um, colorways of Kobe's, the new Kobe's. So I thought that was interesting. I saw some um, some of the Jordan 11s, the playoff black and reds yesterday. So that that intrigued me. Um, somebody today had some had what were they? I think they were some tens on. I do believe uh, some Jordan tens. So I thought that. So I've been I've been peeping it out a little bit. Um, if we're gonna go with the Jazz. It, it, it's funny, Rodney. I, Rodney's been rocking the uh, Kyrie. As soon as they came out, I said, "Oh, okay, you gotta, you gotta connect with your Duke guy." And I talked to him a little bit about okay. that. So he's been going hard on the Kyrie. Uh, you know who I noticed? Alex Burks. 
and obviously he hasn't even played since um, I got here because I didn't get here until late January. But he's had some stuff off the court that I didn't even recognize. And so I was. Whoa, so, that's, so I that's shocking. Are, <laughs> if there's stuff yeah, Kareem yeah, doesn't I recognize. Those, I mean, I think those are things like out of my price range. You know, I think those are some red bottoms or some, you know, some things that are just, you know, I. I can work over Nike and I can work over, um, um, you know, a sports store. But once you get to those high end, um, those really high end things, I, I, you know, I don't have the budget for that yet. You know, I'm still working on that. (laughs) Thank Um, God I got that. You know, who I know this game has been getting better over the last, over the last, um, uh, I guess over the last month, I saw him break out a couple of different pair of Jordans that I was, I was excited actually before game. I thought he was going to wear them during the game, and then he didn't. But I see him after the, <laughs> afterwards, and I'm so those are a couple guys that have caught my eye so far. Um, but I'm trying to think. You know, in in the past when I was, they had a lot of guys. It was funny. I would walk in the, I would walk in the locker room and I'd look around and you would see all these boxes in front of in front of everybody's locker, and I could always tell I'm like. Oh, the Jordans came out Saturday. It's about three days later. Everybody's getting their packages in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really funny. DJ Raji had a really good shoe game. He okay. was always on point. Okay. Um, I like that. So I like that you pay this much attention to these, Kareem. Off the top of my head. Okay. I'm glad I asked that question. And, and we've even got a tweet coming in from Steve Bartles saying that we should call the segment hashtag Kicks with Copeland. So. We've even got a segment name for this. We'll have to have you on the show regularly. I think. I think so. It's gonna I... come soon. I got some. I uh, just the day for you. I, guess, uh, I miss yeah, that. You know, wear them in a wedding uh, at the end of the ball. Nice. All I heard was that you're wearing some shoes at a wedding. <laughs> some... <laughs> sorry, no, sorry. They're patent, patent leather Jordan fours. I'm excited. Okay. Wow. Cool. <laughs> Very nice. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and let you go. But, again, thank you so much, Kareem, for joining us on the Salt City Hoop Show. Uh, we can always follow you at Kareem Copeland on Twitter. Is that right? Absolutely. And thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Anytime. All right. Thanks, Kareem. I like those little niches that people have within the game. Like that, yeah. that you, you make that your own. Like Zach Lowe's got, got uh, arena layouts and mascots and mascots uh, yeah spencer Kareem's has got shoes. dancer beat Sp- yeah exactly spencer's got dancer beat i've got uh i'm get off your lawn guy that's <laughs> that's me pretty much like i've embraced that i've got halftime show beat okay yeah yeah and referees also You've yeah got a referees. little bit although bjc7 on twitter is also a very good referee follow okay um but i i would say maybe he's got the stats more of the ref game and i have the sheer passion and anger well, and you're, I, I don't know that I'd trust a single person besides like maybe you're, you're in, you know, your life or beat guys that have been here for 30 years that I would trust to, if I pointed at a person on the street and was like, that's an NBA referee, what's his name? That you'd be able to tell me what that person's <laughs> name was. I don't know how many people there are who I'd trust over you as or far as that goes. Or halftime shows. Or, yeah, if, if you saw Red Panda on the street, I would, I would absolutely, you know. Okay. I, I would run over to the, from the other side of the street to, you know, get Red Panda's autograph. Okay. I, anyway, yes. But you're right. Like, that's what's so fun about the NBA. And, and I, th- it really is true that, like, there are so many little things that, like, you can become innate fans of that it's just, like, Get really in depth to the refs, the refs, or the dancers, or the the halftime shows, or the shoes, or you know what guys are doing after the games. I mean, it, there's so much stuff. I mean, even during the lockout, like I learned some legal things. For you know, it, it was okay. a little bit of a law school education. Like yeah. there are just so many things about the NBA and following this league that that make it so much fun. I agree.
All right. Um, I, I've got before we go to break. I want to talk a little bit more about today's workouts. Um, and, and in particular, first of all, I think it's really interesting that Bryce Cotton, who played such a big part at the end of last season, uh, played over twenty five minutes a game during the last three games of the season. He actually got his first kind of taste of the Jazz. 366 days ago, actually 365 days ago, May 7th of 2014. Wow. Uh, in the first Jazz pre-draft workout last year. That, to me, says a lot. Like, yeah. Bryce Cotton wasn't drafted, but in terms of just being part of a thing, you know, we, we don't think any of these guys are going to be NBA players, but they might turn out being NBA players. Yeah. And it's really kind of having their information in their database, in the Jazz's database, knowing having some familiarity with them, getting some idea. Walt Perrin mentioned his leadership skills really showed during his workout last season. It was a big reason why they felt comfortable bringing him in um, during the middle of this season. You know, it's stuff like that that, you know, we don't think that these workouts mean anything right now, but we'll find out when the Jazz have a, a, a roster spot that they need to fill come February, or really as they're filling out the training camp roster, the summer league roster, or really their new affiliate, the Idaho Stampede's yeah. D-League roster, uh, as they fill these out, they're absolutely going to be turning to some of these players, especially given how much Walt Perrin loved them in today's workout. Yeah, you know, and I, I think you said maybe we don't think these workouts are important, but I don't, I don't think that's the case. If they truly were completely unimportant, they wouldn't do them, right? Well, there's, sure. there's, you never know how minuscule of a possibility there is that something like this might be important. You know, if Bryce Cotton, who knows what Bryce Cotton could maybe make his case for being on an NBA roster next, or the Jazz's roster next season, and maybe I would say there's a pretty good chance, right, that the Jazz don't look at him if they hadn't had a, a good good look at him earlier at the pre-draft workout, don't you think? I, no, I, I agree. I think that was kind of a differentiator for maybe for Bryce Cotton. Yeah. Um, I also want to point out Jeremy Evans. We, asked, we had a chance to ask TJ Price, who's also a graduate of Western Kentucky, kind of what Jeremy Evans' legacy is. And it's funny because... He said, uh, you know, nobody talks about basketball when they talk about Jeremy Evans at Western Kentucky. They, they talk about Courtney Lee, if you want to talk about basketball alumni of Western Kentucky. Okay. But they, they talk about Jeremy Evans as a legitimately good person, as like the best guy that's ever been at Western Kentucky is Jeremy Evans. And I think we've seen that. I mean, you and I kind of covering the team, just he's the nicest person that ever existed, it feels like. Like that he still does the jazzes, the junior jazz trips. Um, during the summer, even though yeah. this is like his fifth year in the NBA, going to like Tapiona or Tabiona, that's uh, that's the name of the place. Or tapioca. Like, tapioca. <laughs> Hurricane. Like going to all these like wild out there Utah towns and making kids happy there is is so cool and something that like 1% of NBA players would do, maybe. I, I, I just think Jeremy many... Evans is an awesome guy, and I just wanted to say that. I can't recall how many times I've seen him in person not smiling. Yeah. And, and honestly, TJ Price was like that, too. He said, I want to be like that. You know, he, he said he admitted that a lot of NBA players are known as jerks and a lot of college basketball players are known as jerks, too. He wants to be the guy that people are talking about, not only because he's a good NBA player, but because he's such a nice guy afterwards. I mean, okay. that really does open a lot of doors for you. See, like the last half of Jaron Collins' career. Yeah. Oh, speaking, I mean, Bryce Cotton was ex is exactly like that. That's Bryce Cotton's legitimately among the kindest people I've ever spoken to for even a sentence or two. But it's also like, like Cotton's young enough that he still has like some improvement left to go. Yeah. At, when you get to be like Jeremy Evans or Jaron Collins' age where like all you're really adding to a team is, is your character, that 
that means that you're you have a special character. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I also want to play one quote if we can. Uh, if, from Walt Perrin. Let's see if we can get a quote. Um, maybe we're trying to find it. The are we now? Are you talking about the one with um? The way he talked about the draft, the current draft class. Yeah, I, I wanted to maybe play that quote and see uh, what if if we could. He, it was interesting because he was asked about this year's draft class and kind of what he thought about it overall. Um, and, and it's it's really kind of interesting. Do we have that quote ready to go? Okay, let, let's go ahead and just hear it straight from the horse's mouth. Walt Perrin. Still kind of early, um, even though I do know most of the players in the draft. Um, I, I think there is there's some very good players. Um, and again, most drafts you look at it are usually top heavy, but I still think that you can find players late in the first or even in the second round if you uh, really do your due diligence. Um, I I don't see a lot of so-called NBA superstars, uh, if any. Um, but that's not to say somebody may jump forward and become the next Stephon Curry or somebody like that because I don't think Stefan was thought of that as he came out interesting yeah no I think that's a, like uh, that's interesting to me that there are no um, NBA superstars and actually Walt was kind of not misquoted but kind of taken out of context on that and some pieces that were published yesterday and today um, to the point where he felt that he kind of had to issue kind of almost a retraction okay um, today during during his press conference saying you know I'm not saying that there are no NBA superstars in this draft, obviously, any of these guys can work to become NBA superstars. But no, do we have that quote too? Let's go ahead and play that quote again from him. Yesterday, um, the question was asked, "How good is this draft?" And I said, "There's no all stars." It was a little bit, probably a little bit tough on on the kids in this year, in this year's draft. Um, I think it's a good draft. I think it's a deep draft. Uh, can I look at this draft and say? That guy is a five-year, ten-year all-star. No, and that's kind of what I meant. Uh, I think, I hope, especially at 12, where we are, that he is an all-star. Um, but if you look at the league, uh, who would have thought? What? What was he for? Five years ago, Jimmy Butler was drafted in the first round. He's an all-star. He's an all-star. Clay Thompson, we had an idea, but Jimmy Butler was, is a prime example. He's an. Yesterday. Uh... Yeah. Okay. So I mean. I, I just thought that was uh, I, I thought that was interesting. First, that he said it. You know, I don't think that there are any surefire NBA superstars in this draft. And then, kind of felt the need to walk back, saying, you know, look, I, I, some of these guys could be NBA superstars. Obviously, you don't want to insult the guy that you end up drafting in two months. Um, I, anyway, seriously, what you think? I, I think that's at, that's that would be at odds with someone we talked to a few weeks ago on the program, being Lane Vashro, who has his statistical output model, which has the chances of D'Angelo Russell, partic- in particular, becoming a superstar, very very high, like among the highest of any player in the history of Lane's model. In yeah, fact. And, and that that's an interesting uh, dichotomy, I guess, because I mean, Walt Perrin is Walt Perrin's a scout, right? He's yeah, not, he's not, he's not a, an advanced stats guy. Yeah. Um, but the Jazz are beginning to use advanced stats more and more, and they're not going to be in a position to draft D'Angelo Russell. But it's interesting that uh, he he doesn't think that he's going to be a superstar again. And along with guys like Moutier, who may have some superstar level potential, or Okafor or Towns, these are guys who are maybe thought of as as potential superstars. Who you know maybe Walt Perrin doesn't think that. Now, yeah, as he backtracked. Any of these guys could become superstars. You look at every draft, and it's and it's littered with guys who become better players than 
was imagined at this point of the process. But I, I think that's a pretty honest statement from all parents saying, yeah. you know, this is what we think about this draft right now. Not everybody agrees with that. Yeah, no, it's it's very interesting that the the, the different outlooks that pe- even experts and people who this is their lives, the, the different outlooks they'll have. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. On the other side, I want to present to you the Andy plan. Nice. I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave it up to the audience. We're gonna leave it past the break, I guess. Okay. On what the Andy plan is. So that's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Oh, here we go. Let's do this again, Andy Larson. Here with Ben Dowsett. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. You gotta turn the mics on. If I on, turn Andy. on the mics, it just works so much better, this whole radio, <laughs> this whole thing. Anyway. Um I, I think it's I think it's funny. First of all, we've got uh some tweets from Kareem Copeland, obviously and uh Steve Bartle doing it ha- mentioning us in the shoe conversation, which which I appreciate. The best line thus far I think is from Kareem saying, by the way, just thinking Trey Burke's son might have the best shoe game, rocking fire every time I see him. That's fair. I've only seen him, I think, twice, <laughs> and that's true. He had some great kicks both times. See? Every time you see him, rock and fire. Okay. I want to bring up what I'm calling the Andy plan. I think there's. it's not a scourge that's affecting the basketball, but I, I think it's a real problem that needs to be addressed, and that is the intentional fouling. And I'm not as worried about the hack of DeAndre or hack of Shaq or hack of Dwight or whatever kind of fouling where those guys are going to the free throw line, I'm more worried about intentional fouls breaking up fast breaks. It's, uh, and since you mentioned this to me a few weeks ago, but when we were planning a show, I've been noticing it. More, like It's been at the f- forefront of my mind anytime it's happened. And it, it's horrible. Yeah. It really is bad because, like, yes, I understand that people have an issue with the whole free throws thing and slowing the game down, but I have a much bigger issue with... Hey, this is great. We're about to see, you know, we're about to see LeBron on a fast break. You know, one of the the true spectacles of the game of basketball. Yeah, we're gonna right? get double yeah. an alley oop where he catches it and then passes it to his teammate, who then alley oops it. But oh wait, this point guard who had no chance to stop him just went out of his way to go and run forward and foul him because he had one guy back and knew he wasn't taking a clear path foul and screwed up the entire thing. Right? I to me, I really dislike it. No, I really want to double so alley oop to happen. No, but yeah, it's anyway. true. All right, so what's <laughs> the plan to stop it? So the plan to stop it is to do what FIBA does, which is when there is an any intentional foul, you penalize it with two shots plus the ball. You know, the same thing that is supposed to happen with, with these clear path fouls. And to be, to be fair, it does. But I, I feel like they're not punishing the right thing with clear path fouls. Really, they need to be punishing whether or not the foul was intentional. Just because you're ahead of a guy and then wrap him up is not a basketball sort of play. Yeah. You're not going for the ball. You're just trying to stop a fast break. You're trying to stop basketball fun. You're instead, we should penalize that. So it doesn't happen. Give the team who had the fast break, two shots plus a ball on the intentional foul. And we'd see fewer of these and the game would be more exciting. We'd have fewer free throws. Um, we'd also, as a side benefit, get rid of the hack Deandre, which I, I, I do think is a real problem. Like, it's not exciting for me to pay money for cable TV or tickets to watch a free throw shooting contest. You know, I yeah. don't do that. I go to watch a, ba- a basketball game, for better or for worse. Um, and 
you kind of get rid of these these sort of problems. Now, in the last two minutes, then this rule wouldn't take place. Um, so you so for be teams that can foul when they're foul. down points. Exactly. If you're down four with thirty seconds left, you should foul and try to get back into the game. That gives you know that gives the losing team a chance of winning that I think they deserve, or at least makes the game more fun. Do you worry about this putting a bit too much discretion into Embry's hands, and yeah. or do you worry about the, the there being more reviews that come of this and more time being taken out of the game for that? I don't think you review for intention. I guess. Okay. Um, I, I would inst- unless you think it's a flagrant foul. If, okay. if you think it's a both intentional and dangerous play, then I think you review it. If you think it's just an intentional wrap up, you don't need to go to the the board to kind of tell their intent. You can you can really tell that on a fast break whether or not that's happening, and mm-hmm. you can tell in a hack at the Andre situation whether or not he's being intentionally hacked. I mean, the first hint is that he doesn't have the ball. Yeah. Um. You know, those sort of things. I I think we need to remove from from the game in my mind the the intentional fouls. Okay. I, so I, I guess. I'm not that worried about the refs calling intent. I think it's easy enough to see most of the time. I think that's that's displaying a great deal of faith in NBA referees. <laughs> but And then the other question that comes in that I've seen certain people suggest to various solutions to this is what if teams just kind of get a little bit smarter and more covert about attempt? So let's say you want to be hacking DeAndre, but you can't do it because these new rules are in place and, and it'd be two shots in the ball every time. So instead... You know, Greg Popovich or whoever tells his team, okay, every time you're in a screen where DeAndre Jordan sets a screen for you or against you offensively, just slam into him really hard and not hard enough to take a flagrant, but just make sure you foul him on that screen, but do it so that it just looks like you're trying to get around the screen or whatever that, and take the foul. No, I mean, that's that's not a foul that actually happens, though. You know what I mean? Like, you, so what but you're what suggesting they, so what is they that they started essentially using that as a mode of strat. Like I would not I put guess. it past certain NBA coaches. No, I, I think you're right that they might try it, but it's it's so hard to then say, hey, run into DeAndre Jordan such that it doesn't look intentional, but not hard enough that you hard enough that you definitely get the foul, but not hard enough that you get the flagrant foul. Like that's a really hard line that quite uh, that foul doesn't happen enough. So often the guy runs into the, the the screener and it's not called a foul, but I don't think that you're going to get that foul called consistently. Okay. I also wouldn't mind, and honestly, NBA refs do this a little bit, where if there's an advantage, you kind of let them play on a little bit, you know? Um, right. It's not as in soccer where you've got the full hand motion. I've always you, thought you... they should do more of that. More in the like, not a full on like like soccer, but more to the like. If you, it's almost like the the, the disrupting fast break thing. The the if you see a guy making committing a foul that's clearly meant to just stop the flow of play because the other team's about to have an advantage, yeah, let just let on. it go, just let them play. If their advantage goes away within the next two seconds, then you blow the foul, and if not, then you just play. But I still think that I would rather have more of a punishment for that than I guess because okay. then I still think that you wrap up the other guy and, and, you, and you wrap still up take the ball him out of the play. And you still take him out of the play. And see what happens. You know, okay. I still think that you'd you'd rather punish the intentional foul than than not. I guess. Yeah. I also wouldn't mind this, by the way, in the post as well. You know, if you have if you have someone like DeAndre Jordan posting someone up, get the or Andre Drummond. Honestly, is where this happens most of all. Is he's posting somebody goes to turn towards the inside and they just hack just his foul arms no matter intentionally, what. Intentionally, just no matter what. 
I, I again, that's hard to adjudicate. That's a real that that becomes a real slippery slope. But if you're not going for the ball and you're you're trying to wrap up both of his arms without going for the ball, I I don't think that that's a basketball play that should be um, rewarded. At right. that point, I think, I think you get into an area where it be, it can become really hard for refs to tell. But again, refs do this internationally already with the FIBA rules. That's do they have that with the FIBA rules though? Where yeah, with if, guys if, in the post, it, it, it is occasionally called. I mean, I I won't say that huh. happens all the time, but it okay. does happen occasionally where if it's an intentional foul it's called what's it it's an unsportsmanlike foul which is penalized at the same rate as, as a flagrant one is here in the NBA. even for like you know a, a drumming type in the post yep. where it's like okay is he either i'm fouling him or he gets an easy layup right yep. here so i'm gonna foul him yep. wow that's interesting because it's intentional right like why not as as people who like basketball we should let that basket go in I'm just rather than like trying to chop Poor Andre Drummond's arms off. It just in my brain though, I can see the first time Joey Crawford called one of those in a major playoff series with a minute and a half left in the game, and everybody was like, "He was just trying to block the shot." And we have some. There's massive no chance you're discourse. trying to block the shot when you're going for the arms, like you know, when you miss by three or more feet. Okay, it's, it's very clear. So, it's I guess not you're saying something... for only obvious cases. Yeah, like... you're only called when it's obvious. Don't if it's close, let it go. Play it, call it like you would any other foul. But I, I just think that this is a easy problem to solve. This is an interesting theme. We should revisit this at another point on this show. Andy's rule changes or yeah. this particular one? But I like both this particular one, but just the whole thing overall. Because I bet if we hash this out with a number of smart people, they'd find other little minor holes with it to pick that we'd have there to no just holes. fill. Okay. okay. I actually think one of the interesting <laughs> things about this Utah Jazz summer league that's upcoming is that there will be a little bit of tweaking of these rules. You know, we may see a two free throw, or sorry, each one free throw is worth two points. So okay. you get, instead of gigging two free throws on every trip, you only get one, but it's worth double. Okay. Um, we could see more referees. We could see um, some some of these rule changes on clear path or on, on hack a player that okay. we, maybe our, our NBA coaches, staff, et cetera, are interested in seeing. I'm totally in for more effect. referees, by I the way. I don't know if see that one. I'm not sure if I'm in for because then you get 25 percent more fouls, right? Like, yes, that could be true. I, I, I think you have to that one. I think you have to test to see what the impact is on the. Game. And that could be a good place to do it. All right. Well, I, I'm curious to see Jazz Summer League. By the way, is July 6th through the 9th. Um, I'm I'm very excited to for that. Not only because Summer League is back in Utah, but just to see how these little rule changes, if they do end up in the Utah Jazz Summer League, end up affecting. Uh, basketball yeah yeah i can call it the rocky mountain review right even though that's not what they're calling it you can call yeah i think that's fair like we can still call it the delta center i'm still yeah yeah all right let's stick to it sweet let's go ahead and take a break on the other side we've got more to talk about some jazz players are stickering around salt lake city and and we like talking about that they're they're still part of the team even though it's the off season talking about Derek favors trevor booker that's coming up next on the salt city hoop show on espn 700 Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, uh, Ben Dowsett on the other side. I, you can always tweet us at Andy B. Larson or at Ben underscore Dowsett, although we are running out of show time, so get your tweets in quickly. If you're going to do them you, tonight, yeah. you got to do it quickly. You, know, you can do it during the rest of the week. We're yeah. not going to stop you. But, you know, you want them read on the air. There's a certain amount of celebrity that that's attached to that. <laughs> you get you get your your name read to to the people listening. I mean, in the airwaves, somehow your name is being communicated invisibly. Like it, it's kind of cool. 
I swear I'm not on drugs. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm glad you put that part in there. <laughs> I wanted to talk about the the jazz, uh, these jazz men who are, who are staying in Salt Lake City, even former jazz men kind of getting together. It really seems like the jazz are a community kind of beyond what a lot of NBA teams are. Uh, just a couple examples from the last two days. I mean, Derek Favors helping out the Ronald McDonald house by actually working at McDonald's for a couple hours yesterday was kind of cool to see. I wonder who made the craziest order for him and, and <laughs> what they ordered. Well, my favorite is just like, imagine going to a McDonald's and ordering. You kind of hear Derek Favors' voice on the drive-thru. So, you know, you, you wonder if something's up. And then pulling around the corner and seeing Derek Favors giving you your order, that would be... That would be, be a thrill. Yeah, it would be a thrill. It would be Did like kind of next level. Did they announce it well enough beforehand that it had like a big line stretching in the drive-thru? They announced it to the media. So, like, there were cameras and stuff there. Okay. Um, but... The people did not know. The people were surprised. Hmm. So, yeah. there. I mean, he, he actually talks about it in the video. Like, they're just everyone came up and was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but you're an NBA player. I'm not quite sure if they can match his hourly rate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Trevor Booker came to workouts today. So, he, you know, he's not allowed to work out with the players. That's, that's part of NBA rules. But came by, said hi, um, you know, kind of worked on, on the, I, I don't know if he worked on the gym equipment or not, but it, it's, again, he's staying in Utah, saying hi, it's still connecting with the coaching staff, even three weeks after the season's ended. I like that, and I think that, I, I mean, I can't speak to every time this has happened over the years, but I feel like that's something that tends to happen a lot, right? Like, even guys, Booker's not from here, this is the first year that he spent here, this past year, right. but he's he's not, you know, and certain guys, you know, Dante Exum's got to go see his family and, and things like that in, right. in a whole different country, but for guys that have been around the league a lot, they don't, it's not like they're just like, get me out of Utah as quickly as I can possibly leave, right? That's the thing, and, and that's the reputation of the Jazz, and, and I don't know if you remember Dan Clayton's post on Salt City Hoops last summer, where he he kind of interviewed an ex NBA player and asked, you know, what is the what is the stigma of Utah out there? And there definitely is one that that NBA players don't want to come here. But then you talk to these guys, and and it's guys from all different backgrounds who come to Utah, and and they really love it. Like, I mean, uh, again, maybe the next example that I was going to bring up is, is the best example. Darren Williams and Memo Kerr played golf today, and I I huh. think it was in Utah. Like, I I think that sort of, I guess. Loyalty to to a, a team and and a city is really impressive because again you can't get guys from two more disparate backgrounds than Memo Kerr and Darren Williams. Yeah, absolutely, and I think uh, that gets into like you're saying with the appeal. I, I've always thought, and tell me what you think on this. I have a second to theorize. I've always thought that, and. The, this isn't to, to stereotype NBA players in any way, but I think that a lot of that may have to do with nightlife. Yeah, because that, no that people, oh, which you know, yeah, Utah's Salt Lake City is lacking in some ways in that area. I, I mean, I'm not a, a full connoisseur, but I know that it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's no New York City. It's no Miami. You know, it's no right, Los right, Angeles right. or any of those. I don't places. think you have to be a full connoisseur to know this. No, I don't think so. And could it really just be? Could that one factor be a, like a large portion of the? Because what else in today's day and age? What else are players really missing out on in a place like Utah? They're not. We've we've been over this a million times. Guys like Kevin Durant are the perfect example. They're not losing money on endorsements. If you're a true superstar, yeah. worthy of endorsements, you're getting them no matter where you play. It yeah. doesn't matter. Like you Kevin may, Durant's been in OKC. As a fringe guy, though, you know, like Gordon Hayward would be would be getting more endorsements in in a large city. You know, if I guess he, that's if he true. played in New York, he would be their second best player. I, I think he gets more than the Baileys moving in storage. Yeah, um, you're probably right. But I, I think you're right for superstars. You know, like the the guys at the KD level, 
you're right that that's that's a very different thing. Okay. Um, I also just think I just think that it's interesting that. Uh, Okay, so Aaron Falk and I have an idea, and maybe we're we're making a mistake by sharing it over the airwaves. But, but now you're, really, you're committed at this what point. What we need to do is create a NBA player only. Yes, <laughs> we need to create an NBA player only party spot here in Utah. Charge like ten thousand dollars a night, and just subvert it... all the liquor laws. <laughs> no, I mean, well, maybe. Okay, that may have to be a requisite part of it. And now that we've said on the air that we're going to be breaking the law, this probably isn't going to happen. No, that Thanks, was my ben. suggestion. No, that was my suggestion. I'm not part of this plan. We're not going to so. do it. Yeah, we're going to follow all the liquor laws, wink, wink. Um, but just make it a good time for the players here. The Jazz would get better players. Both of us would be well compensated for owning this establishment. <laughs> um, again, like charging this all planned out. tens of thousands of dollars a night. And then... We would also be well compensated in that the, the Jazz would be more popular as a result of having better players here in Utah. But if you make it NBA, isn't part of the appeal there, especially for NBA players who are then VIPs in these huge clubs that have, you know, a thousand people in there or something? Isn't that part of it? Like if there were, if all of a sudden they were like the only people in okay, these places? Okay, you're right. So maybe not like the only people, but like specifically set up to, to make NBA players and their friends and their, their you know, crews, if you will, okay. feel, feel at home. Okay. I mean, it's it's not the worst idea I've ever heard. Like, like right now, here's here's the real problem. Right now, all the Jazz players after every game are going to, like, Cheesecake Factory. Not all, but, like, at least half. Yeah. And that's a real problem. I think there needs to be something that they can count on that has still the kind of food that they're looking for, but that they'll, they're willing to spend more money than the Cheesecake Factory. Maybe not this particular base of players. And, and like, Gordon Hayward loves Subway and Olive Garden, like, legitimately. <laughs> um, so maybe this Jazz roster is not the roster to do it with. But that they're going to Cheesecake Factory right now really indicates a a market inefficiency. Well, I think the hours are honestly a pretty big part of it because we, you know you're right. talking about guys that on a game night, especially if they've got friends in from another team or something like that, it's game night and they're not leaving ESA until you know eleven thirty, eleven type of thing. Yeah, so you'll only open from five to four a.m. Yeah, five p.m. to four a.m. Let's okay. see. let's be clear. That's a decent idea. Yeah, it's not terrible. And then yeah, you charge instead of ten dollars or twenty dollars a plate, like uh, Cheesecake Factory charges, charge you know thousands of dollars a plate. <laughs> and like you're right, you know maybe maybe the young guys on on their rookie contracts aren't paying, but I don't know. Maybe uh, Gordon Hayward's probably not paying, but Derek Favors might. He just he made all that money from working at McDonald's. He's got to spend it somewhere. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, Andy, you're all full of ideas today. There are a couple good ideas in there. That one's really Aaron's. I I, I, I steal it, put it on the air, and then give limited attribution. But okay. really, it's Aaron's idea. Nice. I, 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 but I, I think it's a brilliant one. Um, <laughs> quick note on the Jazz's schedule coming up. So the, the NBA Combine is next week. That's in Chicago, uh, May 14th through the 15th. So they'll be working out players through then. All, you know, obviously, all the Jazz and the rest of the NBA's brass will be there. And then the draft lottery is on May 19th. The Jazz have about a 93.6, I say about, an exactly 93.6% chance of staying there at number 12. But there is a real chance, namely 6.4%, that they move either up or down. So just kind of giving you an idea of what's to come. And then, of course, the NBA draft coming on at the at the end of June. So um, Exciting. there's actually stuff to talk about in, in Jazzland. The, the offseason is not here yet, uh, and there are a lot of important decisions for the franchise to make. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, thank you guys, everybody, so much for listening. As always, you can find the whole show on ESPN700sports.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or on saltseedhoops.com. Thanks so much for listening, ESPN700.